Church, I got to say thank you once again to my church family. Um, several of you have reached out and have uh, helped this this preacher in these last few weeks and months we've been together, and it's just been a tremendous blessing. I know you didn't do it for recognition, but you know who you are. You've uh, been a blessing to my family, and uh, I want to I want to just say from the bottom of my heart how much my family has taken notice. And when I say my family, my, my wife already knew, but my little ones. My little ones are noticing the, the brother so-and-sos and the sister so-and-sos. And Addie was, you know, praying and, and she, she prays. She prays just like the best of us. And she was thanking the Lord for, for brother Mike and brother Mike and brother Mike and brother Mike. And there's four of those around here. And then she thanked the Lord for brother Jim Bob. And then she thanked the Lord for brother Don and all the brothers and all the sisters. And she thanked the Lord for brother so-and-so and brother so-and-so. And then she got to Mr. Tony. Um, <clears throat> then you got... Miss Lisa and Eli's mama, Lisa, and you got all the different Lisas and Miss Kathy, her teacher. And, uh, and I, if I named them all and Addie sees it. And if there could be one thing I could stress this morning, this little generation is watching you and watching me. And they see our hearts. They see our actions. They see our love. And this little generation is so precious. We need to take care of it. We need to guard it. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for the blessing you've been to my family and all the families of this church. Acts chapter number 17 this morning. Acts chapter number 17. I've enjoyed so much, so thoroughly walking through the book of Acts. God has showed me things in the book of Acts that I've never seen before. We've been through series and studies on the book of Acts before, through Sunday school and through uh, preaching in the youth room, and he's just never opened it up like he's opened it up in these days. And I'm glad he's been doing it. This morning we're going to be in Acts chapter number 17. Last week we talked about Paul and Silas and how God showed them there in chapter number 16 how one individual, one man, was just as important to God as an entire multitude of men. If you missed it, last Sunday night, we talked about the man, the jailer, the man of the prison. And we asked the question, are you a man of the prison or are you a man of the house? As you know, last week was Father's Day, and we looked how God sought after that man, that he sent two uh, preachers to that prison disguised as prisoners to preach to that man, to get the gospel to that man. And now we see Paul and Silas, they would continue marching forward, they would continue doing great things for God, they would continue doing exactly what they were called to do. And here in chapter number 17, their audience would escalate a little bit. They've been preaching in synagogues, they've been preaching in different areas throughout uh, their land there, and they've been moving place to place, and and they've had some decent-sized congregations. But now Paul and Silas would be given a stage, they'd be given a congregation that was bigger than any they'd faced before. And that's what we're going to zoom in tonight, uh, this morning in Acts chapter number 17. Stand with me and let your eyes fall on verse number 5. We're going to be bouncing around a bit here in chapter 17, so stay with me. First, we're going to begin reading in verse number 5. The Bible says, But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, here those dust of envy stirring up again, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and a certain... Brethren, unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Now let your eyes go over to verse number 22. 22. You may have to turn a page. Verse number 22 says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars' hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive in all things that ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar which with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him I declare, him declare I 
unto you. And now let your eyes fall in verse number 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think of the Godhead as like unto gold or silver or stone or graven art by man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. The first couple of verses we looked at, the lost were saying, you've turned the world upside down. Then we see Paul come to a place called Mars Hill. Then we see him give a charge. And this morning I want to preach on this thought. When your world's upside down and you find yourself on Mars, what do you do? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the simplicity of it. God, how we get it twisted so many times and we try to muddy it with our wisdom. But God, I pray that you let the simplicity of the gospel shine forth today. You let the simplicity of your plan of salvation, you let the simple act that you committed on the cross for each and every one of us shine forth today. Hide me behind it. Get me out of your way. Fill this service with your Holy Ghost. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, Paul is now being persecuted, and the people persecuting him made the statement, these are the men that have turned the world upside down. Whether you're lost, whether you're saved, whether you're male, whether you're female, whether you're red, yellow, black, or white, you are precious in his sight, and that does not exempt you from the thing of uh, the thing of temptations, the thing of trials, the thing of troubles, the thing of suffering. We know and we see here that these men, when they were confronted from their truth, it flipped their entire worldview right on its head. And right now in 2020, there are many things going on that have flipped people's worlds upside down. For any people, for any individual person, it can be different from the one sitting next to you. We've seen a pandemic come in and flip worlds financially upside down. We've seen a pandemic come in and flip worlds spiritually upside down down. People don't know what's going on. People who don't understand the truth and as they're being confronted with it, their, their entire worldview, their entire view out on this look, the people they thought that they could trust, the people they thought that they could get answers from are no longer able to provide truth anymore. They're no longer able to provide answers. Things that we used to draw strength in, places we used to gather, places we used to go and friend, whether you're lost or you're saved in this room, there are going to be times in your life where you don't understand it. You can't quite wrap your hands around it. You can't quite gather your arm and you can't make sense of it and it feels like your whole world is upside down. When that happens, God will always bring you to a place. God will always bring you to a moment. God will always bring you to a decision. And that's what we would see here. We see these men, they, they made the statement, our whole world's been flipped upside down. Then those same men, through some travels of Paul, gathered themselves together to a place called Mars Hill. And it was at that place where they would be uh, commended of God, led of the Holy Ghost, to, to decide to make a decision. So I want you to walk with me through these scriptures and see what led up to the sermon. First, we see a focused reasoning. Look at verse number 2, back in chapter 17 where we are in verse number 2. And it says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. A focused reasoning. Notice Paul's tactics have changed a little bit. 
All right, he is not backed up. He is not compromised. But many chapters, uh, just one chapter ago and a couple chapters before that, we saw Paul walk into these synagogues. We saw Paul walk up to these Pharisees and walk up to these Sanhedrins and let her rip tater chip. We saw him open that mouth and tell them that they were wrong, tell them that they had done things incorrectly, tell them that they had crucified the Messiah. Paul was the first one to open his mouth and explicitly and unapologetically explain to them that they had messed up, that they were sinners in the hands of angry God and command and, and de demand that they repent, demand that they acknowledge who Jesus was, who Jesus is. But now we don't see that. Now we see Paul going in and it says for three Sabbath days, that's three weeks, he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Paul's taking a little bit different of approach here. He's not backing up. He's not compromising. But he's slowing down a little bit. And he's, he's starting to realize in this case, in this synagogue, he needs to take time to lay some groundwork, to lay some foundation. And he begins to, out of his Scriptures, out of those books that those Pharisees would have known, out of the books of Moses, out of the prophets, out of that Old Testament, he begins to reason with him. And he begins to lay a foundation that he can preach truth on. What he's now realizing is that when he goes in and he lets her rip, a lot of those Pharisees are so grounded in what they believe and so grounded in that Old Testament that they're too blind to see that the Old Testament was a grand presentation of exactly who Jesus was going to be. It was a grand presentation of exactly why we needed the cross of Calvary. And he took the time here and this focused reasoning to dial in and slowly, methodically, over a three-week period, build that Old Testament Scripture and explain to these Jews what exactly had taken place there on Calvary. Next, we see a familiar reaction. Look with me at verse number 4. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and the chief women, not a few. We see a familiar reaction here. Many, many, many men and women acknowledged what Paul was saying, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and accepted that. And it was the lie of the devil that when the gospel is presented that no one will listen, when the gospel is presented that no one hears it, when the gospel is presented in its simplicity and in the form that God meant to, it to be preached, that Christ died on the cross, He was buried and He rose again, and His blood can forgive you from our sins, it will always bring forth fruit. And Satan will seek to lie, he will seek to divide, and discourage us Christians, discourage us preachers, discourage us that are faithfully witnessing out in the areas where they are, to think that that never works. I don't know how many times I've heard the statement, the preaching you're doing down there, the Bible you're preaching out of, it's not for this generation. It no longer works. That is a lie birthed out of the pit of hell. It is the same God that was there in the book of Acts. It's the same God that here. He has not changed. He has not compromised. He has not backed up. He has not grown more open-minded to sin. He is eternal and we must worship Him in that eternal spirit and truth. And Paul here has a familiar reaction. As he preaches, many accept the gospel. Many accept Christ. And it was this reaction, it was this uh, openness that they had to the gospel that would cause what we see as a ferocious riot. Look at verse number five. But the Jews, which believe not, moved with envy, took unto them a certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. What's this sound like? And gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar. This is a riot. Satan now has resorted to his final tactic. We've seen him use these Jews and use the Romans and trying to be uh, precise, trying to be um, 
antagonistic and trying to muddy the waters with this saying and this saying and with this woman and with this man. We've seen him use individuals. We've seen him use small little groups of parties of people. But now he's setting the entire city in an uproar. Here at Thessalonica, as Paul and Silas began to preach, he took those Jews, those ones that that rebelled against the gospel, those ones that denied the gospel, those ones that did not want to hear the truth, and he got them worked up. He used those Pharisees, he used those Jews to get them riled up, and it set the entire city in an uproar. So here, Paul and Silas, they have a riot on our hands. And thank the Lord, they were wise enough to realize that when things get to that point, when people are into that mode, when they are <coughs> poked and prodded and they tweak that creature, that sinful flesh within them to cause chaos, to cause destruction, to th- set things on fire, to burn things down, to push people around, to bully and to, and to do all these terrible and wicked things, Paul and Silas realize that there is no way that they are going to be able to hear or make a logical decision from that point forward. If they are in that state and they're in that mode, they're not going to be able to hear, they're not going to be able to understand, and they're not going to be able to act and decide like they should. And we see Paul and Silas, they back out of that city and they move on to to another city. Then they move on to another city. But God was not done with those people at Thessalonica and God would get His message across. But notice that furious riot and identify that when somebody is in that mode, when somebody is so angry, when somebody has been lifted and, and worked into an uproar, there's no reasoning with them. There's no having a simple conversation. And even if you could get the message to them, they're so caught up in their emotions and they're so caught up in their flesh and rage and anger, sometimes it's best to just put it back in God's hands and let God give you another opportunity to talk to that person. Let us not be the church, let us not be the Christianity that falls into the trap to jump right in the middle of the riot, to jump right into the argument, to jump right into this and jump right into the uproar and the chaos that is our world. Don't fight Satan's battle the way he wants you to. Fight it the way God has called us to with his word, with his scripture, with the, with the weapons and the verses and the biblical principles he's given us and let God allow the stages and let God allow the timeline. Don't put it in Satan's hands by buying into the riot. It's very important to see Paul and Silas did that. Then we see a fearful realization. Look at verse number six. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren to the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. They go to the people of power there in Thessalonica that are probably wondering, what's this riot about? Why are people setting things on fire? Why why is this going on? And they say, Sirs, the people, these Christian folk, these preachers, whatever they call themselves, they've come here and they have turned the entire world upside down. It is important to understand what they're really saying here. They were not saying that they were turning the world upside down. They were saying that they were turning their world upside down. You see, what these people that were rioting and what they, and they were burning and they were causing these uproars and they were causing these fights and these angry mobs, they weren't upset because the world got turned upside down. They were upset because their world got turned upside down. We are in a generation, and so was Paul, so has the church always been, that is a re- it is in direct rebellion against the Word of God, is in a direct rebellion of the law of God, is in direct rebellion to the Son of God. And we can never be surprised by that. But what we have to understand is that they're not just mad at uh, that the world is corrupt, that the world is in rebellion, that the world has trouble, that the opposition, Satan wants it that way. He could care less that there's trouble over here. He could care less that there's trouble over there. What he gets people dialed in on is their world. Because he knows if he can get their world 
lined up with his world, they'll never look for his world. They'll never look for the big answers. They'll never look for the big questions of what comes next. Where am I going to spend eternity? Will I be with my kids in eternity? Will I be with my family in eternity? What will happen to me? And these people here were frustrated because their worldview had been flipped on its head. You see, they were not met with another uh, 12 principles to beat addiction. They were not met with another five-point plan for financial success. They were not uh, argued with with anything that came out of man's wisdom. They were presented the truth. They were presented their sin. They were presented that unless they repented of their sins, unless they came to the cross of Calvary and realized that it was His blood that was shed for your sins and mine, that there was no hope for them in eternity, that there was nothing that they could do, there was no good work that they could perform, there was nothing that they could accomplish. There was nothing that they could bully. There was nothing that they could snuff out that could change their position before God. And this truth had flipped their world upside down. How many of you know what it's like for that, that feeling? When your world, everything that you held dear, everything that you were focused on, the career or the family or the, this principle or that principle, everything that you held dear, everything that you thought you were on this planet to do, everything, and it just feels like somebody took it and flipped it upside down. The first thing you need to realize is what Paul would later tell them is this is not your world, this is his world. This place does not belong to you, this place belongs to him. The only right you have is the right to die and go to hell because you are a sinner by birth and by choice. And that the simplicity that God allows us to take another breath, God allows us to hear about His Son, God allows us to hear the Gospel, God allows us to live in a country where we can still meet and worship freely, God allows us to do the things we do as Christians here in America is a privilege and it is a gift. And it is not something that we earned. It is not something that we did of our own merit. It is something that the God of this universe, the Creator of all nations, allows us to do. He would have them later in verse number 30 and he would get these people back and he would get their attention. He would bring them to a point of decision and I'll give you the spoil alert and he asked them to do something. He says, when you feel like your world's upside down, when you're not understanding some things, when you're not quite un, uh, con, you know, conceiving what's happening in your life or your circumstances, when you feel like there's nowhere you can look for truth, and you find yourself on Mars. You see, they found themselves on a place called Mars Hill. As a preacher, that's a gold mine. You've got to use that. And they found themselves on a place called Mars Hill. And what that place would be for the thousands and thousands that were there, for the thousands and thousands that heard, would be a point of decision. And what they realized, and they would soon realize, is that regardless of what they decided, regardless if they chose to accept Christ, or regardless if they chose to reject Christ, from that point, when they found themselves with their worlds upside down, and they found themselves on Mars, and they found themselves hearing the truth of the Gospel, from that point, regardless of their reaction, regardless of what they thought about this Jesus, regardless of what they thought about this preacher, from that point forward, their lives would be changed. You see, because your life's just not changed because you accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many remember that day? How many remember that day? You accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. You repented and put your faith and trust in them. If you can point yourself to a time and a place, you may not know the date. You may not know the, <clears throat> the, the exact minute of the day. But you know that there was a place where somebody as little as you met somebody as big as God. And he came to where you were. He saved you by his grace. He forgave you. He wrapped you in cords of mercy and love. And from that day forward, your life has never been the same. You may not 
not have been perfect. You may not have uh, dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's. You may not have accomplished all the things that you wish you would have accomplished. You may not have always been the best Christian, but you know that there was a change made on that day because your life has never, never, never been the same. But as they found themselves on Mars, those that would reject Christ, those that would say no, their lives would never be the same. You see, because the Holy Spirit leaves an imprint. When the Holy Spirit comes and knocks on the door of your heart, when the Holy Spirit comes and beckons with you to receive Christ, to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Him, and you say no, that leaves a scar. That leaves a seed planted. The Bible says some seed fell on good ground and some seed fell on fallow ground and some seed fell on thorny ground. But regardless of the fact of how your heart was and where it was and when the seed found it, the seed was planted. And there's nothing you can do to make that seed go away. Once you've heard the gospel of Christ, once you know the truth, regardless if you reject it, if you're indifferent to it or not, it stays with you and it's never going to go away. Why? Because God never wants you to feel like he doesn't want you. God is always looking for you to repent. God is always looking for you to come to him. God is not interested in the one and done. God is not interested in this predestination baloney. God is not interested in setting some for this and setting some for this. God wishes everyone to receive him for whosoever will whosoever will but they would soon realize that even if they said no their lives would never be the same they would always know they would always know whether they admitted it freely out in the public or not they would always know things were not right between them and their creator you may be here this morning and you know you may be on the church roll for 20 plus years. You may have never been in a church before in your life, but you know that there was a time and a place that you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and you did not say yes, which means you said no. And ever since that day that there's been something there, there's been a void there and there's been something that you've tried to fill with this. You've tried to fill with that. You've tried to look to money. You've tried to look to popularity. You've tried to look to boys. You've tried to look to girls. You've tried to look to relationships. You've tried to look this way and you try and you can't figure out what is it not there? What am I looking for? It is Christ that you're looking for. When your world's upside down and you find yourself on Mars, what did he, what did he do? Spoil, spoil alert in verse number 30. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch and when they had, oh, wrong chapter. Verse number 30. Air conditioners get my pages sometimes. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. When your world's upside down and you find yourself on Mars, you find yourself this place where you've got to decide if you're going to stay with this upside down way, if you're going to stay with this right, wrong, this, that way, if you're going to stay with man's wisdom, if you're going to stay with the politics, if you're going to stay with the popularity, if you're going to stay with the governments of this world and the princes and the powers of this world, or if you're going to make a change, if you're going to decide to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ, that is where they were. And Paul gave them a very simple command, repent. A lot of us forget what repentance looks like. I love to play this game with the teenagers. We call it the repent game. All right, Kenneth, I'm going to use you and Jacob to demonstrate. Kenneth, if you'll get right there on that side of the altar, the side you're already on, Jacob, if you'll come right over here and you just face that direction. All right? I will simply give the teenagers, you're in church, no roughhousing, no tackling, no throwing across the room. Okay? Got to put that out there. I'll give the teenagers the task, and Jacob's long, long grown. He's grown now, but I can still use him for illustration. Amen? We got... One objective. It is your objective to go over there and touch that far left pew. But every time I say the word repent, 
you have to turn around and walk the opposite direction. Because that is what repent means. That is what repent in the, in the sense that Paul was talking about and the sense that Jesus preached about is a direct about face and move in the opposite direction to forsake the direction you were going, to forsake the place you were going to, forsake the destination you were headed to, forsake the principles and the powers and the, this, that, or the other that you were seeking after. Turn your back to it and walk in the opposite direction. That is what repentance means. So your objective is to touch that pew over there. Go. Repent. 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 Go. Repent. 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 Kenneth won. You can be seated. We forget and we overcomplicate what the word repent means. And sometimes it takes something as trivial as that to remind us, what is God looking for? What is God asking? You see, there would be so much mud in the water. There would be so much overcomplicated of, of this denomination and that denomination and that religion and that religion and this and that. And we would simply ask the question, what is God asking us to do? Repent. Turn from the direction you are going. Turn from the people you are serving and repent towards Him. And now during that game, I could say repent dozens of times and it would frustrate them and it would make a game out of it. But when you repent and put your trust in Jesus, that's the only time you need to do it. Amen. Amen. That's the only time. Now, as you're walking towards them and as you're following, you may stray this direction and you may stray that direction. But if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he has <clears throat> been given you. God has placed you into his hands and he's not going to let you go. He's not going to let you wander off the opposite direction. He's not going to let you go and and end up in the destination you were headed to. What I would stress and what I would really hope everyone here understands is that once you are saved, once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, once you have put your eternity in His hands, there is no one that can take you out of His hands, not even yourself. I'm so glad that I serve a God that when He saved me, He signed, sealed, and delivered me, and there was nothing that I could do. Even if I wanted to go to hell, I couldn't go to hell. Why? Because I've given my soul to Him, and it belongs to Him, and I'll spend eternity with Him. And all you have to do to get there. All you have to understand is the subject of repentance. Repent of what? Repent of what? My generation cannot grasp this. We say, yeah, repent of your sins, but then they look out and they see church members that sin every day. We say, you have to repent of your sins, and then they look out and they see churches that are guilty of crimes, and they're on the news for this, and they're on the news of that. And they're having trouble understanding this thing of repentance and my generation and the generation that we wondered what's going to happen when all these participation trophy kids grow up and what's going to happen when all these things that we're not doing anymore, all these things we're not, what's going to happen when all these kids that don't pray in school anymore grow up? What's going to happen when all these kids that they don't read their Bible in school anymore? What's going to happen when there ain't no daddies in their homes? What's going to happen when there's no mamas in their homes? What's going to happen when the divorce rate is 55%? What's going to happen when we abort all these babies? Look outside. That's what's going to happen. That's what happened. Because they can't understand and grasp this concept of repentance. Because Satan's muddied the water so much. There's this te testimony that's been wrecked. There's this testimony that's been... And when they look to the church, they don't see genuine repentance. They don't see it abroad. They can't find it. Paul was addressing that here. And he line by line explains to them what he's talking about. Number one, repent 
of superstition. Look at verse number 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. How many know somebody that's superstitious? Okay. Whatever definition just popped in your head, throw that one out. The superstitious Paul was talking about here was not throwing salt over your shoulder or breaking a glass mirror. That's all hogwash to begin with. But the superstition Paul was talking about here was elevating creation to the place of worship. Elevating creation over the Creator. Well, what's that supposed to mean? What's that look like? How are we supposed to make people understand? Superstition is simply giving creation, the place you live, the earth, the birds and the bees and the trees, the rocks, power and jurisdiction over your life. The circumstances here on earth, power over the decisions you make, power over the things that you say, power over the attitude that you have, power over the things you complain about or the things you don't see or the things you see. When Paul said, I believe that in all things you are too superstitious, he said, you are worshiping this planet. You are letting this world, you are letting the sun, the moon, and the stars, you are letting the food in the market, you are letting all the things that God created for you to be in charge of to control you. Repent of that. Repent of that. Still not getting it. What's that look like? God told Adam that he had dominion over all the earth, didn't he? It wasn't the other way around. And when sin came in, sin stained that earth that he had dominion over all of. And Adam and Eve handed the title deed of the earth over to Satan when they gave in submission to him. So Satan now has dominion over all the earth. And we think that the world, and this is where Christians can sometimes get in trouble, the world is out to get me. That's what Paul's saying here. Y'all, I've got a bunch of people here in Athens that just think the world's against them. That just think the creation that God gave you, the city God gave you, the circumstances God gave you are against you. And poor little old you and poor little old me. And we can't help that our circumstances. We, we can't help our housing situation. We can't help our health situation. We can't help our career. We can't help this, that you've been dealt a bad hand and that creation is what's going to decide where you spend eternity. And you're putting all this power and all this precedence and all this faith in creation and circumstances and I'm asking you as the preacher, repent of that. Turn from that. Creation was never meant to have power over any of our lives. We are part of it. We are something God loved and created for His pleasure and His joy. Why are we, why are we fighting it? Why, why, why are we giving it power over all? He gave Adam dominion over all the earth. What's that look like? Complaining about circumstances. Repent. And this may sound silly, but it's true. Repent of those red lights, restaurants, menus, all those things. We give power over our life. We give power over our relationship with God. We give power over our spirituality. We, give, we let one red light make us late for work the rest of our day shot. One young lady or one young man working their little tail off to make a living so they can have their apartment messes up our coffee in the morning and our whole day is shot. That's, that's, that's super that, that is giving power to creation to control us. You understand what I'm saying now? One little thing that, that we've always believed in and one of our little habits and our little things that we've always done, you come in and you come into that bubble and you poke at something and it better not be anybody that you don't like because they come in and they say, well, well what do you do that for? That doesn't make any sense. And we lose our minds. We get angry. We get frustrated when people start to point out our superstitions and our little... 
uh, twerks and our little tweaks and the things in our life. Some of us have got to have this a certain way. And some of us, some of you are smiling because you're getting what I'm talking about. When God sent Paul, he said, you guys have come to the point where you're letting those things dictate your lives. You're letting Starbucks dictate your lives. You're letting Jesus chicken. Chick-fil-A, dictate your life. You're letting things that, that, that were never even meant to control you, control you. And we do that. We do that. We let creation, we let man's devices control us. And we complain when things don't go our way. And then not just complaining about circumstances, but critiquing others' characteristics. I don't know why they got to spend so much on that fancy coffee every morning. This McDonald's black coffee is just fine. And we get so caught up in looking at what they're doing. We get so caught up at looking at what they're doing. We get so caught up at looking at what they're doing and their, and their fleshly characteristics and their fleshly habits. And, and we get so caught up in making, making sure that we're not going to end up like them or we're not going to end up like them or we're not going to do things the way they did it that we forget who we're trying to act like, who we're trying to signify, who we're trying to walk after, who we're trying to display to a lost and dying world. It's not the guy that makes a lot of money. It's not the guy that can afford the $10 coffees. It's not the guy that can afford to go on all these lavish vacations. We are supposed to be showing this lost and dying generation Jesus repent of that superstition repent of all those little creation based idolatries that you have elevated to control your life to control your relationship with me there are so many days I've asked myself this question why you had the opportunity Bryce to be a Christian today. But y'all hear me. But Bryce, you woke up and spent an hour watching something that told you you had to be something else today. And you spent the whole day, Bryce, mad at a certain side, angry at the world, because you thought you had to be something today. Y'all hearing me? And Bryce, you could have been a Christian today. You could have loved that little sweetheart at the McDonald's drive-thru that's just working her little backbone off to make her a little living. Instead of, I wonder if she's one of them. You could have loved her. You could have gave her a gospel track. You could have been kind. You could have been the one person in that drive-thru all day that says, hey, God bless you. I'm praying for you. I know what you do is not easy. Instead of spending an hour a day or 30 minutes a day being told or being told what you ought to think. Repent of that. Repent of that elevating creation over the Creator. Repent of superstition, number two. Repent of ignorance. Look at verse number 23. For I passed by and beheld your devotions, and I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. What is this ignorance Paul speaking of? What is this ignorance Paul speaking of? These are attitudes of ignorance. These are attitudes that dictated these people in Athens, these people from Thessalonica, these people from Corinth, all these people that had gathered themselves to Athens, Greece, this huge congregation of people as Paul's preaching to them, as Paul's talking to them, as Paul's sharing with them, he's saying you need to repent of this ignorance that you have the attitude, number one, that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Heaven or hell, it doesn't matter. Eternity, it doesn't matter. 
The people there in Greece, the people there in Athens were some of the most well-educated in the whole world, the whole known world at that time. The Romans that had come from Thessalonica, even the Jews that had been in the synagogues that had come to hear this sermon, that had come to be presented the gospel here, were some of the wisest people in the whole world. And some of the wisest people in the whole world will have that attitude of, it doesn't matter. Where I spend eternity... It doesn't matter. Where my kids spend eternity, it doesn't matter. Where my kids are going to spend eternity and eternity and eternity and forever and forever and forever, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to put any investment into that. I'm not going to ask the question. I'm not going to teach them anything. I'm not going to show them with my life how they ought to live. I'm not going to give them Scripture. I'm not going to let them know what the Bible says about it. I'm not going to let... It doesn't matter. That's ignorance. That's ignorance. Paul's saying, repent of that mess. It does matter. You matter. You matter to a holy and righteous God that when He spoke this world into existence, when He created the sun and the moon and the stars, and when He created all those magnificent creatures that creep and crawl and fly through the air, He gave you dominion over all of it. He gave you the power and the purpose of free will to choose what you were going to do with your soul, what you were going to do with your eternity, who you were going to serve with it, who you were going to worship with it, the things you were going to do for eternity and eternity and eternity. He gave you the... You matter to God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I would go to church, but it doesn't matter if I was there or not. Who would miss me? God misses you. I would witness, but it doesn't matter. Who cares if I witness? God cares if you witness. Repent of this ignorance that says it doesn't matter. That's what Paul was saying. Another attitude. It's all by accident. It doesn't matter. It's all by accident. All of this that we see around, the beauty of creation, the beauty of the anatomy of the human body, the beauty of childbirth, the beauty to watch a, a little soul come into this world and to be able to make decisions and be able to and have their own free will. How many of you know your kids have their own free will, their own decisions, their own agenda that they want to push across? Your kids. I never had to sit down, Addie and Bradley. I never had to once sit down and say, okay, kids, this is how you lie. This is how you steal. This is how they knew it. That sin nature in them was, was birthed in them. That's not by accident. That was because of Adam and Eve's sin and it's there. The proof is in the pudding. You show me one place on this earth where people have to be taught how to sin, where people have to be taught how to bad people, and then I'll give in. I'll say, okay, maybe sin didn't come from Satan. Maybe sin didn't come in the Garden of Eden. But it would be hogwash because you and I both know we are sinners by birth and by choice, and this thing was no accident, and the bad news was no accident, and the good news was no accident. The good news of the Gospel matters. It was not by accident. There's a certain great scientist... And I won't name him because I'm on YouTube and the church might get YouTube banned or something. I don't know the laws and procedures. But you can look this up in his book. He wrote a book about astrophysics. The study of the sun, the moon, and the stars from the leading scientist this world knows right now. And he opened up this book with the sentence and it read, All matter, time, space, and energy. At one time, billions of years ago, was contained in a space smaller than the period that ends the sentence. A speck. That's what they got. The leading scientist over the whole known world right now, the smartest guy they can conjure up, says we came. And the sun, the moon, the star, all the beauty of creation we see came from a speck. I bought the book just because I wanted to know what they came out with. And I read that first sentence and closed the book. 
There was no point. If I'm lying, I'm dying. There was no point in reading any further. A speck. That's what you expect me to believe. That's what you're going to try to teach my son and my daughter. That's what you're going to try to teach the kids of our nation. That's what you're going to try to push in your agenda. Satan, is that the best you got? A speck? Think about it. It's comical, but that's what they're trying. The whole known universe was a speck. And by we don't know where the speck came from, but that's beside the point. By some miraculous accident, that speck exploded and it went bang and it was a big bang. And all of a sudden, you, your wife, your love for each other, your attraction to one another, your love for one another, your love for your children, your love for your grandbabies, all that was an accident. All that is just a chemical reaction. Your wonder about the universe when you lay down at the skies at night and you look up and you know there's something bigger out there there's a yearning in your soul that knows that there was a creator over all these things and all that was an accident it was an accident what's harder to believe what's harder to believe in a speck or divine holy creator that loves you why is there even a debate I'll tell you why man's pride's right there in the middle of the way we don't want to acknowledge that we're separated from a holy and righteous God by our sins, by our choice. It doesn't matter. They say that intelligent design, intelligent design, God creating, is not necessary to explain all the things. But you can gather the smartest and most brilliant ones around And it takes all of them millions of dollars of research, millions of hours of study time, millions of hours of of this philosophy and that philosophy to clone a goat and it comes out with five legs and three eyes and then they, they say they've done this miraculous thing. If they're so intelligent, they can't even make a goat properly, but they'll sit there and try to tell me that intelligence was not required to create the sun and the moon and the stars. Intelligence was not required to create people like you and create people like me, create the emotions that we have, create the things that we know, create the things that we see, create the things that we act out on, create baloney. It's an accident. That's what Paul's saying here. Repent of the sheer, utter ignorance. It is ignorant to believe in that mess. These were the Greeks. These were the greatest philosophers. We still, in the scientific community, in the academia community, we still look back at the Greeks' wisdom and the Greeks' knowledge and the discoveries of Galileo and the discoveries of this man and the discoveries of that man. These were the smartest men, some of them may that have ever lived. Repent of your ignorance. Wow. But we think we got it all figured out, right? We think we know. It's all by accident anyway. What, what's it going to matter if I repent or not? And then we get brainwashed into thinking, it doesn't matter. It's all by accident. And it's about what I think. Okay, preacher, I'll give in. You're, you're right. There's something bigger out there. There is. I'll, I'll give in. But it's, it's about what, what I think. It's about my personal decision of how I worship him. I can worship whatever I want to and, and, and whoever he is out there, I'm, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I, I'm sure he'll honor it. I'm not that bad. We get that attitude of ignorance that it's about what we decide. That we get to choose to tell the creator of the known universe how we're going to come spend eternity with him. How much sense does that make? Yet thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon hundreds of thousands of people have that attitude that we think we can look up to the divine creator over everything we know, over everything we don't know, over everything that is and was and will ever be and say, I'm going to do this my way. 
Repent of that ignorance. Repent of that hogwash. Thinking that you get to write doctrine. You get to write scripture. You get to determine truth. Friend, I've said it once. I'll say it a thousand times. It does not matter what you think. It does not matter what I think. It matters what He says, has said. And what will, He will always say is that He is God. And He says what is right is right. And He says what is wrong was wrong. And He says how you get to Him is the way He says it's going to be. And, get, and let me tell you some more good news. Christianity, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, Hamashiach, the only known Messiah to ever come, to ever die, to ever live again. He did not make it complicated. He did not make it hard. While every other religion says God requires something of you, God requires you to blow yourself up, God requires you to meditate 20 times a day, God requires you to write, requires you to write 40 fortune cookies a week, God requires you to go over here and bow to this statue and bow to that statue. While all those other religions, they openly state and they openly proclaim God requires this, God requires that. Christianity, Jesus Christ says God gave. God gave. You can't give anything, Bryce. You can't give anything, Dakota. You can't give anything, Brother Joe. I'll tell you what, I'll give it for you. And we think John 3.16 is just so complicated to understand. For God so loved the world that He gave. Find me another religion. Find me one that says God did this for you so you wouldn't have to do anything but believe in it. Find me one and then we'll talk. Then we'll talk. Paul knew there wasn't one. Paul knew this was ignorance. To believe there's anything under that sun, moon, and star, anything on this planet that can get you to heaven, if you think there's anything out there, you're being ignorant of the truth. You're being, you're being ignorant of the fact that there's one God, there was one son, there was one sacrifice, and he is the one way. You're being ignorant. Go find me one if there's another one. That's what Paul was saying. But you know there's not, so repent of this ignorance. Repent of superstition, giving creation power where it was never meant to have. Repent of ignorance, these attitudes of ignorance. And lastly, probably the most importantly, what Paul was saying here is repent of indifference. Repent of indifference. Look at me with me at verse 31. Paul's preaching here. He had just said, he commanded all men everywhere to repent. Why? Verse 31. Because he hath pointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And he has given assurance unto all men and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection, here it comes. Here comes decision time. Here comes the reason their world was flipped upside down. Here comes the reason they found themselves on Mars. Here comes the reason they came to hear this preacher preach. Here comes the reason that they were searching for truth. It is decision time. In verse 32, and when they heard of his resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, oh, hear these words of the Bible. We will hear thee again of this matter. You know what they said? We'll come back next Sunday. God brought them to decide there. God showed them the error of their ways there. God showed them that their world was upside down and they ended up hearing the words of a gospel preacher there. And some laughed it off, totally rejected it altogether, but some of them were indifferent. They said, you know what? We'll come back next Sunday. We'll come back next Sabbath, and we're willing to hear you again. Next Sunday. Next Sunday. Next Sunday. You know what that is? Indifference. I'm just not going to decide right now. I don't have enough in my life 
together yet. You hearing me? I don't have all the eggs in my basket the way I want them. I've got some goals I want to accomplish before I get right with God. I've got some things that I want to do and I want to get straight before I get right with God. I've got some ambitions and a mindset that I repent of that indifference. Why? Because judgment day is coming. Look at verse number 30, 31. Because he hath pointed a day in which he will judge the world. There's a false gospel that's being preached right here in Chattanooga. And from the lips of that preacher, he says, God does not want to judge you. God will not judge you. Read your Bible. There is coming a day. And it is called the great white throne. And there you will see the dead, small and great, stand before God and give an account for what they have done, for what they have been involved in, for what they have committed. And the only thing that will make a difference between heaven and hell, the only thing that could have got them out of this great day of judgment, the only thing that they were required to do was repent. There's been some disputation. You don't go to hell for this. You don't go to hell for that. You don't go to hell for drinking. You don't go to hell for drugs. You don't go to hell for homosexuality. You don't go to hell. You don't go to hell for any one thing. You go to hell because you deny the darling son of Jesus Christ. You go to hell because you say no to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that gets you in hell. That is the only thing that causes you an eternity separated from God is refusing his son. It's not this or that. If you do this, you're going there. And if you do that, no, 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 no. That's not biblical. The only thing that sends a lost soul to hell is that they hear the gospel and they say no. Because judgment day is coming. Why do I have to decide so soon? Why do I have to make this decision now? Because judgment day is coming. We don't know when it is. God didn't give us that. But it's coming. And there will be a day you have to stand before your creator. And what's he going to do? He's going to open a book. He's just going to see if your name's in it. He's just going to see if you said yes to Jesus and upon that moment they wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. That's all he's checking for. If your name's not there, off you go. He's not going to give you a chance to argue, argue, dispute, because your time of indifference is done. Is your name there or is it not? Why can't I be indifferent? Why can't I put enough another week? Because your opinion won't matter upon that judgment day. Look at verse number 32. And when some of them heard the resurrection of the dead, when they got to that part of the message, when he said, Jesus raised again, some mocked. They said, Paul, you had me. Paul, I was listening. Paul, I was, I, 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 I was saying amen to everything you said. Paul, I hear what you're trying to tell me. But when you started talking about how Jesus got up from the grave and how Jesus is alive and how Jesus still wants to save and how Jesus is still on the throne and He's still the King of kings and He's still the Lord of lords and He's coming back one day to take home you and me. When you got to that part, when you started saying that this Jesus, He is God and that He has the supreme authority and that He wants to rule and reign forever and ever. When you told me that He was alive, I'm out. Because my opinion prevents me, my opinion prevents me from subjecting myself to anything else because I'm serving me, Paul. I'm in this for me, Paul. Well, guess what? You can't afford to do that because one day your opinion is not going to matter. He's going to open that book and your opinion is not going to matter. Why can't I be indifferent? As Miss Joy comes, verse 33, because you may never get a next Sunday. Look at verse 22. Another said, we will hear thee again 
of this matter. Watch what Paul does. Verse 33. So Paul departed from among them. Read that again. Verse 33. So Paul departed from among them. Some of those people there in that congregation, that was the only chance they ever got. That was the only opportunity they ever got. Paul made it very clear. Repent of this superstition. Repent of this ignorance. Repent of this indifference. And repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ now before it's everlasting too late. And some said, nope, I'm going to remain indifferent. I'll just come back next Sunday. I'll just come back the Sunday after that. I'll just come back the Sunday after that. And before you know it, it's been 10 years of Sundays and you've never came down and repented and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Before you know it, it's been five months, six months of you walking in the wrong direction, of you associating with the wrong crowds. Before you know it, it's been too late.